Well, Peter's been talking about a corrupt world and he's been talking about uh, we live in a world that all around us people are going away from God and keep moving, moving, moving more away from God and we need to be aware of that and we need to be careful. And today he's now talking about the day of the Lord. That's a time when God's going to come and sort this corrupt world out once and for all. And it's going to change it from being a corrupt world to there's going to be new heaven and new earth. The two are going to be one place, so heaven on earth together. God's rule. It'll be the perfect place. But this message has been around for a long time, and we're left right now asking, when's this going to happen? You know, is the world not bad enough? What's holding it up? Is there any way to hurry it up? And what about people who say they know when it's going to happen? Are they right? This is going to be a cosmic event that's talked about where uh, everyone's judged and what we have is destroyed. There's a whole new beginning. It's going to be such a radical, dramatic change that nothing in life will be like it. And so therefore it's going to be important when it happens. And it's going to be important for those who are right with God and it's going to be the most horrible, dreadful thing for those who are not. And there's going to be no second chance. Let's have a look at this passage because it's going to answer those questions for us. First of all, in chapter 3 to Peter, he says, Dear friends, he's really trying to encourage them to respond. He's urging them to listen. He wants them to move away from friendship with the false teachers. Remember, there were people in the church who went away from following Jesus, have this so-called new knowledge, false teachers and prophets who are saying, we know what's best, and taking people away from the church and from Jesus Christ. And he's urging them, dear friends, have a deeper love for God and his gospel. Don't listen to this false teaching. He then goes on to say, dear friends, this is now my second letter. I've written both of them as reminders to stimulate you to wholesome thinking. Wholesome thinking. Fruitful, productive knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. That's going to bear the full test of being examined. It's going to be something sincere. Verse 2, I want you to recall the words spoken in the past by the holy prophets and the command given by our Lord and Saviour Jesus Christ through your apostles. So listen to what's been said in the Bible, recorded through the prophets. Listen to the words of Jesus that have been passed on to you by the apostles. And Peter's going to go on and talk in this chapter about a creation. He's going to talk about the uh, creation of things, about the flood. He's going to record events in the past that show the character of God. And these he's going to show in sharp contrast to these new revelations the false teachers are claiming to have. We don't need these new revelations. We know enough about God from what's happened already. We don't need new stuff. They didn't need it then. We don't need it now. And then this interesting passage. First of all, you must understand in the last days, scoffers will come, scoffing and following their own evil desires. Scoffers are going to say, you know, when's this all going to happen? We've been waiting now for 2,000 years. In the last days, when's it going to happen? That's from a worldly point of view, because you and I think last days, I think uh, it's the last days now before school ends, or last days now, be- last days now to get into the church camp. We think of a few days, don't we? That's right, because it's saying days. But God's in a different time frame. 
And last days, in fact, means the, diff- the, the time between Jesus' first coming and Jesus' second coming. First coming was when he was born in Bethlehem. We remember that at Christmas. And his second coming is when he's going to come, not just a baby, but he's going to come in all his glory. The whole world is going to know Jesus is not just king, but creator and judge. And all are going to bow down to him whether they want to or not. The whole world's going to know about it. And that's what the Bible talks about, the last days, the period between first and second coming. And these scoffers can say, where is this coming he's prophesied or promised? They doubt that anything such thing could happen. They doubt that Jesus could come and stop the world and judge the world. They doubt that. But verse 5 says... But they deliberately forget that long ago, by God's word, the heavens existed and the earth was formed out of water by water. And then that's the Genesis, God creating the world uh, by just his words in such awesome power and wonder. Um, I think, wow, that's just beyond what I can comprehend. And scientists say it's a cause of chain and effect. And scientists say there's a, a Big Bang theory And then I heard a philosopher, probably over a game of pool or snooker, saw the balls on the table and realised that the balls don't move unless an external force provides the energy. And he knew from his from uh, physics, sorry, physics. And he knew from physics that uh, also energy has to have sources. There has to be a source of energy. And he put it all together and he said, well, there has to be an external force that created the whole cause of chain effect that scientists see. An external force that created the Big Bang theory, the Big Bang to start with. There's got to be a source of energy, an external force. There's got to be a God. There's just got to be. And the Bible tells us that God did it, but just spoke a word. Didn't we see that with Jesus? When he encountered any sort of problem, a person who was born blind or paralysed or had leprosy or or a girl, 12-year-old girl dead or Lazarus dead for four days and smelly, a a violent storm coming to the fishermen who thought they were going to die and these were seasoned fishermen. When he encountered any sort of problem, what did he do? Did he have to do a song and dance and go through a ritual and, and, you know, what did he do? He just spoke a word, didn't he? Just a word said something, and bang, fixed it. And that's the God who started it all off with a word. And the God who started it all off is the God who can bring it all to account with just another word. No effort at all. Verse 7, by the same word, the present heavens and earth are preserved for fire and being kept for the day of judgment and destruction. They're being kept. God is created, is also sustaining things right now. Now we're going to look at Colossians in the next couple of weeks. Uh, in Colossians chapter 1, verse 16, says, All things on heaven and on earth were created in Jesus. In Jesus. Verse 17, I love this verse, says, Jesus is before all things, and in him all things hold together. Saying Jesus created, and Jesus in all things, all things hold together in him. That's why Jesus had that such a power and authority. And if you take that to what it means, is my body, which is a mass of atoms and particles and whatever, is all held together by Jesus. And if he decides he doesn't want to go, I'm just going to go into a puff of dust. Like that Indiana Jones movie and the guy drank the wrong stuff. And it's what the whole world's going to go into a puff of dust if Jesus decides it. 
And if he's holding everything together because he created everything, and he's holding it all together as we can realise the miraculous things he did because he has that control, then when it comes time to judge, it's not an effort. It's just going to happen. And so why the delay? Why are we waiting? Well, verse 8 talks more about that. It says, But do not forget one thing, dear friends, with the Lord, a day is like a thousand years, and a thousand years like a day. A day is like a thousand years, and a thousand years like a day. Quote from Psalm 90 verse 4, and Psalm 90 verse 4 is saying, you know, look at the flower that grows, it's beautiful, and then it dies, and then it's gone. And it refers that to people. And uh, if you want evidence of that, just walk across the road to the cemetery because there's lots of people over there. There's, there's, there's thousands of people over there that have grown and, and flourished and then withered and died and now they're no more. Human beings have come and gone generation after generation after generation and will continue to go until Jesus t- returns. But on that um, psalm was saying, even though human beings come and go, God remains the same, unchanging from generation to generation. A merciful, gracious, compassionate God. And verse 9 talks more about God in that way. So God's outside of our time zone, and, and time's so different to God. He's in eternity where time and space don't matter. And verse 9 says, The Lord is not slow in keeping his promise, as some understand slowness. He's patient with you, not wanting anyone to perish, but everyone to come to repentance. God is patient with mankind, patient with this world. And he's patient because he doesn't want anyone to perish. He wants people to come to repent, to recognize their sin. To see Jesus the only way to be made right with God. To call upon Jesus to save them and make him their Lord and leader of their life. And the scoffers who are going on about, well, we are, this is not going to happen or why, it's, why isn't it happened, are missing and have a wrong understanding on two points because they fail to understand that right now all things are being continued because God is holding them together. Since the creation of the world, God is sustaining our existence. They fail to realise that. And they fail to also, they misunderstand the reason for this apparent delay because they don't see that God's long-suffering and he wants people to respond to him. He wants to give opportunity for more and more and more people to respond. You see, if he'd come within 100 years, you and I wouldn't have existed. We'd be out of the picture. Well, 1,500 years, we'd be out of the picture. But he's giving more and more opportunities for people to come. When did Christianity come to Australia? When did people in Australia first have the opportunity, Aboriginal people, first had the opportunity to hear about Christianity, generally speaking? About 200 years ago, roughly, when people came to live here. I mean, you could say uh, the, the Dutch in the west coast of uh, Australia, but uh, West Australia, but I mean, that was only really touching bases, not, not trying to bring Christianity. And so that's the problem with the world. We've got people groups all over the world. We had the Jennings with the new tribes mission going into, like 30 odd years ago, going into a part of the Philippines where they'd never heard about Christianity, never met a white man. 
And there's still apparently groups like that. They're still trying to reach with them. God is patient. He wants people all over the world to hear about Jesus, give an opportunity to respond. And when's it all going to happen? You get from time to time, you get people saying, we, we've been told that it's going to happen on a certain time and date, and so get ready, sell all you have, and usually give, give the church or the person your money so they'll be wealthy. Um, and it doesn't happen. And they're liars, they're false teachers, they're false prophets who say that. Anyone who says they know when, even if they, don't, even if they say the date or the month or the year, any indication they know when, they're false. Move away from them quick. Because look what it says in verse 10. But the day of the Lord will come like a thief. I've never ever met a thief who will advertise when he's going to come and knock you off, rob you. It doesn't happen that way, does it? Jeff, Jeff's a policeman. They don't do that, do they? Make it easy. We could give them a welcoming committee, couldn't we? We'd love to operate that way. We'd be there to welcome them. Here, put these bracelets on. We'll take you away with us. Give you a holiday. It doesn't work like that, does it? And so when the Lord comes again, there's no, going to be no forewarning. There's going to be no indication that he's going to come. It's going to come like a thief when people are unexpecting him to come. But at the same time, the Bible's telling us we've got to be ready. Even though we don't know the exact hour and we, we're not going to pack our bags and store up things, we won't need them anyway. We can't take any with us. But we need to be ready. Ready and steady, waiting for Jesus to come. And so it says in verse 11, if we're people who recognize it's going to come and the heavens and earth are going to disappear and it's going to be, it's going to be taking nothing with us, it's going to be a whole change, what sort of people do we need to do? We don't, we don't pack our bags, we don't save our personal possessions because we won't take them with us. Verse 11, since everything will be destroyed in this way, what kind of people ought you to be? You ought to live holding godly lives as you look forward to the day of the Lord and speed its coming. We need to be living holy and godly lives. The thing that's going to matter, the thing that's going to be really important is when we stand before God our Creator and Jesus Christ is going to judge us because he died for us and he now owns us. When we stand before Jesus, what's going to really matter is our relationship to the Son. That we've been following him and obeying him and living for him. We can't take any with us. We won't be able to point to any works we've done or, or people we know or things we've been involved with, nothing at all. It's all just us, personally. Not even our family, our husbands, our wives, our friends, just us and our Creator. And our relationship to Jesus will be the most important thing at that time. It says here that we can speed its coming. How do you speed the coming of the day of the Lord? We've already done it today. The Lord's Prayer. What do we say? Your kingdom come. We keep praying that the Lord's kingdom will come. Every time we say the Lord's Prayer, we pray the Lord's kingdom will come. So we're urging God to bring his kingdom on in prayer. But also, if God's holding off so people could repent, how can we hurry up the process? People need to repent. How do they repent? They need to hear the message of Jesus, don't they? And respond to it. If they don't hear the message of Jesus, they can't repent. And some people in our country have heard it, but just sort of forgotten about it or ignored it. They need to hear it. 
And nowadays we have the phenomenal that, that people can, can go, grow up in life and really not know about Christianity because they haven't been to church, they've, they haven't done SRE in primary school, they've had no real contact with the church and they can grow up not knowing about Jesus Christ. Maybe I've heard of him, but he's just a mythical character like Santa Claus or the Easter Bunny, but really don't know who he is and what he's done. And that can happen nowadays. And the idea of speeding the, the um, oncoming of this day of the Lord and the idea of people repenting and responding just brings out the whole importance of mission. The whole importance of, of, of reaching out. Jesus came to seek and save the lost. He came to call people to respond to God who were lost from him. And he told us to continue that. So it raises the whole importance of us continuing to do that with our neighbours, our families, our friends, the people around us in the Hawkesbury and beyond the Hawkesbury to the state, the country and the world. And we're doing that. And we saw the Coral Mission, didn't we? We're doing it down there. We're having the Gingerbread House coming up very soon. We do it there. Where that's a lot of non-church people come along. They have fun making gingerbread, but they also hear about Jesus Christ and give an opportunity to respond to him. We do it at the Hannah Park Carols that are coming up before Christmas. We do it... Uh, all the time we're doing an SRE in the high schools and primary schools. We're doing it in our youth groups and children's ministries. Uh, we're doing it uh, in the Hawkesbury Youth Mission and the Hawkesbury Show which comes up. We're doing it in our community and we need to keep doing it like that. We've also heard Matthew said about beach mission. I already had it down here. We're doing beach mission in Coro in a, a statewide thing. We need to keep doing those things. We're supporting it across Australia with BCA and Church Missionary Society and Frank and Robin Hawkes with pioneers in the Northern Territory trying to get a work going there. We continue to support Jason Hazel from among us who's doing a worldwide work with the uh, SIM. We do the Year 13 missions to Fiji. We've got CMS missionaries, Kirsten and Binet in Nepal and Ron and Michelle Jennings with New Transmission in the Philippines. We're doing it and we're supporting those who are doing it and we need to keep doing that because we're going to speed the day of the coming of the Lord. What's important to our Lord's coming is that more and more and more people respond, repent and follow him. And we need to have that same desire for that day to come. We want to see more and more people repent and respond. Therefore, we're people who are going to be looking forward, verse 13. But in keeping with his promise, we're looking forward to a new heaven and a new earth, a home of righteousness. We're looking to see finally this corrupt world we're in, this world that's going away from God, this world that we read about in newspapers or news, this horrible, ugly place at times. And we read about this world where we're just sort of challenged by sickness and health issues and ageing and, and relationship things and, and the weather and all that sort of stuff. Gone. We want to have a new heaven, a new earth, the one place, heaven and earth together. And we look forward to that. And the home of righteousness where everything's going to be godly. Everything's going to be pleasing to God. And we're not going to have to, there's going to be no effort to, to try and please God. We're just going to be doing it and doing it and doing it. Because that's what it's going to be like to be there. And so then, verse 14, since you're, we're looking forward, let's make every effort to be found spotless and blameless and at peace. Spotless and blameless were describing Jesus in 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 19. So we want to be like Jesus. We want to live our lives for Jesus. That's our motto. 
And we're going to have peace because we know we're made right with God, justified by faith. It's not what we do, it's what Jesus Christ has done and we're relying on him. And so even those big scary things going to happen, the world's going to be judged, destroyed, everything's going to change and we're going to stand before our creator by ourselves. But we're not scared about it. Because we're trusting Jesus. And Jesus who loved us enough to die for us. And God who, sent, who loved us so much he sent Jesus to do that. Are two that we can trust completely. In verse 15. Bear in mind that our Lord's patience means salvation. Our Lord's patience is that more and more and more people will be saved. And so we're told to be on our guard in this world that's still a corrupt place. And verse 18, grow in grace and knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. Continue to focus on Jesus. Never have enough of Jesus. Want Jesus more and more and more. Being more dependent on the grace of God, that unmerited favour, that we're constantly forgiven and maintained and, and strengthened and, and taken forward by the unmerited favour of our God. And if we're doing that, if we're growing in grace and knowledge, we're going to have that joy of being saved. We're going to have peace of mind. We're going to have courage and strength. We're going to be able to face the world and be strong, whatever comes. We're going to be people who look back to the past. I'm not saying I wish we were back there, but look at the past and see what God has done. See his character. Look at the present and enjoy the present, but enjoy it with Jesus Christ and living for him and relying on him. And people who look to the future and not pie in the sky, but real stuff. That Jesus is going to come and we're going to join him in that new place, heaven and earth together. And the best in life is yet to come in Jesus. 